Hi, I'm Nigel the Shanghai Psychic. I can tune into your loved ones in the spirit world, but I can also tune into you, tell you about your path and the choices that you need to make and need to know. I'm currently giving 30% discount on all Tell Craig Your Story listeners. Just use the code Tell Craig Your Story for 30% off your first psychic reading with me online at Nigel the Shanghai Psychic. Hi, this is Frank Bray. Welcome to Tell Craig a Story. See you in the funny papers. Hi guys, Craig here. Welcome to another edition of the podcast, Tell Craig Your Story. Today we'll be speaking with singer-songwriter, actor, producer, co-founder of the Pearl Theatre, Frank Bray. Now Frank has had an amazing career so far. As I predicted, this one is going to be a very long one, so we're going to cut this into two parts. And the first part of the podcast, we go through Frank's early life growing up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and moving to New York City to become a model and to do some jazz singing. Along the way, he met some amazing people, and he also gives us a big scoop as to what really happened with JFK and Marilyn Monroe. Now, part two will start off where he talks about his experience Uh, with the World Trade Center in 2001 in New York, what it's been like uh, living in Shanghai, and also, and being proclaimed, the Shanghai Sinatra. But before we go, please go to our website. We're at Podbean. Tell Craig Your Story at podbean.com. We have a link tree which tells you where Tell Craig Your Story podcast is streaming. We are on all the major streaming services. We also have VK for our Russian listeners and we chat for our Chinese listeners at Tell Craig Your Story. We also have a YouTube channel there. Make sure you're subscribing to get all the latest updates. All right, here we go. This is part one of my podcast with Frank Bray on Tell Craig Your Story podcast. Hey Frank, how are you doing today? Awesome. 
Very good. Beautiful day. Weather's awesome. It is. Shanghai. Turning it on. And I just got to oddly have a, a, a week off. Like, a, I'm not booked for the next week, so. Yeah, right. I'm just going to be home with my dog. Staycation. Yeah. Stay at home. Get back on the workout. Ha, ha. Any, pl- <laughs> any plans to go away or stay in? No, no, no. I, I have some friends going to Sonia for the first week in August. And I, August is so busy, I just can't can't go yeah uh but i already had the two weeks in hohai so right well thank you for coming on i went to see you play a couple of tuesday nights ago mm. uh at heyday beautiful little jazz blues it's, jazz it's bar. the best little jazz place in shanghai yeah i saw you do your set you want to talk a little bit about that it's piano and and me. A, that one's called piano and me but we have i'm there two nights a week and on friday we have the four-piece band, which right. is trumpet, bass, drums, and piano. Upcoming at August 15th, uh, I'm doing the first big band concert I've been able to do at the Pearl since before COVID. Wow. And uh, it's going to be a blowout. It's a big band, a uh, sub-club big band. So first one for the Pearl? Well, we've been doing them all along. Right. But since Christmas before COVID, we couldn't. Oh. It just too... Too many people were gone, and the, the whole town was unorganized, you know? Yeah, right. And uh, so that, along with the bureaucracy of it, it's been quite a challenge. It's 19 people submit the paperwork, submit the videos. Each person has five pieces of documentation. Wow. da 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 And fortunately, after eight years of the Pearl, we're licensed to do all that stuff by ourselves now. So, you know, uh, process it ourselves. But to gather the information, and they're musicians, of course, so it takes them like three times longer than a normal person to get their shit together. Yeah. (laughs) And I've done it many times, but this time I said, okay, and WeChat makes it magic. Yes. You... uh, Everybody, this is what I need. One, two, three, four, five. And you put it in a file and you send it to me. And then I made uh, four different chats, rhythm, trombones, saxes, trumpets. Right. And then I just got, because before I would get five pieces of information at different times of the day from 19 people that was organized in no fashion whatsoever. And there's Chinese people, there's Western people. And I'm just like, oh, this is impossible. (laughs) And I was going crazy. So I, I, I developed this system where you just send me a file on your chat and then I can forward it to our agent and then it's it's all in proper pieces, you know, and streamline the whole thing. It was uh, the most efficient way we've done it so far. Yeah, right. So what was the date again, sorry? Or August 15th. August and, and this time we licensed uh, all of the players for six months. Right. So we're going to do a six-month run Sunday, one Sunday a month. That's right. And, uh, but you don't know this stuff if you, you haven't been here, you know? Yeah. It's, a, it's a learning curve still after almost, this is my 14th year, I'm still learning. <laughs> but that's the good thing about music and singing and, and whole entertainment is you're always sort of learning something different, you know, singing. Well, I'm still learning. I, the songs, these songs, I mean, I feel like a museum archive actually <laughs> right. but you know i've been singing these songs for 40 years yeah. since i first time on stage when i was five years old it's like be it's like beatles music you listen to the album when you're a kid and then you listen to it again and and, and it just it just keeps 
uh, having more nuance, you know? Yes. And, and the great thing about American standards is that the lyrics are so good, and people forget that the lyrics, the actual vowels of the lyrics are designed to go with the melody of the music, and it's not simple. Yes. And people are like, oh, I memorized a song. No, you didn't memorize a song. What's the melody? Just sing the... Yes. You're not Beyonce. <laughs> Just sing the melody. Yes. Oh, and memorize the words, because you're not Ella Fitzgerald. Scatting is not your thing. It's a wonderful journey anyway, because it's music. Absolutely. And let's talk about uh, the shows tonight. Pink we're both, Floyd. We're both going tonight. It's <laughs> going to be great. So tell us a little bit about this. Uh, it was very successful last time around. We're like a... I Initially, when we opened, I our focus was more cabaret, theater, and live music, jazz, different different kinds of live music. In, in its evolution, it's changed, and we've become a, sort of a cabaret, burlesque, rock and roll place. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's the way you have a vision, and the vision kind of tells you what to do, right? And uh, so now we have this great house band. We've had them for three years, the Red Stars. Red Stars. All Russian, and uh, uh, the drummer, Gil, is, I think he's Belgian or something, but he speaks Russian. And, French. Anyway, they're, 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 yeah, and French, yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're just the hardest working band yeah. I've seen in person. Very professional. And they're so professional and they just work their butts off. So we've done, we've developed a catalog of these, of these tribute shows from ACDC to Queen to Mamma Mia, ABBA. Gosh, we have a bunch more. We have a country show, da 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 da. So our catalog's pretty big, but the most recent addition to it is Pink Floyd. Yeah. And as as much as I love them and as much faith as I had in them, I was like, that's a big bite. Yes. That's a challenge. And they just kicked us. Yeah. They knocked it out of the park. And, and the um, our guy that does the, the lights uh, and video has just, he made such a, uh, a poignant video presentation mm. to go with the show, and it's, it's just, not just about the it's music. It's just phenomenal. I mean, yeah. it's it's the level of show that we could sell, we could sell to other events and whatever. Yeah, it's just really, really good, and it fits the pearl so well, and the pearl's so flexible. I mean, you can do like we're going to do this big band show on the fifteenth, and you know, now we're doing Pink Floyd. Yeah. And well, uh, last week we did Linkin Park, <laughs> and then we did Unplugged, which is yes. all '90s shit, you know. Yes. And, yeah. and they're so flexible and talented, and mm. such a great band. Yeah, I asked them if they wanted a drink, and they said no, we don't drink. Just this very professional, like getting up on stage, playing their show. You know, it, it must be a difficult job for them to be like there, you know, four or five nights a well, week. Just, I, I think just, that um, you know, if you know the where they come from, mm. they just, you know, uh, Alex, the guitar player, he's a bit of a, a celebrity where he comes from, but there's no money there. Yes. And that, you know, I know dancers that make, oh, I don't know, 10, 15,000 RMB a month, work 29 days a month. Wow. And they're, and they're making more money, almost twice as much as their parents in Russia who have had a job yeah. for 20 years. Yeah. yeah. And so... They feel like they have the opportunity of a lifetime, you yes. know, and this, this is and this is sort of what I wanted to create when we o- opened the Pearl, the uh, place where uh, 
I always say a place by artists for artists. Yes. It has a very organic foundation, and I think that's why people love being there because it's it's just full of love. You know, it has a it's long built history. on soul. That's right. We had no money to start it with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about COVID. Everyone's been a part of it. Uh, you stayed here during this 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 time. Did you go back to the U.S. or did you? Oh hell no. No, you stayed. Here. I did consider it for a, you know a blink. Right. For you and your family, like, how did you sort of adapt in this? period you know was it tough times like oh. financially and you know all those things for business i went to do new year's in bangkok uh you know and i came back on the 4th of january and all the shit went down just immediately after that and i just happened to be here right a lot of people as that was the everybody gets a month off and everybody had most people had left already that's right and yeah. then when this happened I'd say at least three quarters of them didn't come back. Yeah. Maybe even a hundred percent. I don't, you know, unless, because they stopped letting performers in, they stopped giving visas, shut everything down as they should have. Mm. And it was very effective. So we were like, Oh gee, what are we going to do? We closed, we were closed for three months. Right. And it took every, we we had a really good year and, COVID year was going to be double what the right. last year was, right? right? Yeah. And we used every resource we had to keep our 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 business going and to pay our staff and right. and they were all extremely affable and and uh, we made it through it together as a family, you know. Yes. And we we paid the band that they just rehearsed at home, you know, and uh, for 3 months. Right. And then uh, you know, a miracle of miracles, when things unlocked in April, we were the only game, we were the only man still standing. And and the business was just phenomenal from then on. Yes. And I was told you were doing like, doing films, like during the COVID period to start off. And oh then... yeah, because we had, they imposed a, you know, a restriction on how many people we could have. Right. I mean, the venue easily holds 500. And they're like, well, you can have 50 people. So in March, they said, you can have 50 people at a time. And we're like, no point to open up, you know? It's just not worth it. So uh, as soon as we did, then we started showing films and slowly getting back to our original momentum. Yes. It was still, I mean, even at that level, you know, with the control, we were just full all the time. Yeah, that's... That's amazing. And a lot of places went down to tubes, you know. Yes. <laughs> and we lost half the musicians in town. It, it was a challenge. So did you have musicians leave during this period, like for the poll? Like, well, no, a lot of, not was, our musicians. Right. We all said, this is our strategy. Yeah. Everybody's staying. This is what we're going to do. Win, lose, or draw. We think that when things open up again that will ha- that'll give us the best chance to go forward and not die right. so and it worked <laughs> and for you and for you and for you personally as well like how, how was it for you like you know well, I, I I you know you have this sort of Armageddon in your head <laughs> yes. you know you don't know this is going to be zombie land or what or this is the end of the world yes. right come to find out that it was for us in Shanghai it was probably the the mildest of any place on the planet. Yeah. 
important, like the grocery was open and the, you know, there were a couple of spots open where you could, you know, but it was, it was, it was kind of cool. Because mm. the streets were empty and, <laughs> and, and you could go walk to the Lawson's and grab a beer or sit on the steps with your buddies or whatever. And uh, it was quite the experience. Yeah. And you, you're just like, well, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I I put on like five kilos just drinking beer because right. there wasn't anything else yeah, to do. Right. Cooking at home and so were you writing new music in this time, or was it just something just to pass the time? Or well, you know, you look back on it and it's like I had three months I didn't do anything, but I should have used it more wisely. But the the problem with the mentality when you're in that is like you just don't you don't feel like getting up at six <laughs> in the morning and writing songs. You're no. just like. Well, you just expect a mushroom cloud outside your window or something. <laughs> yes. So I think it, I think the the challenge is just to get through it mm. psychologically. You know, keep you know in contact with your family and friends and support each other because nobody knew what the hell's going to happen. Yeah. And then literally, it's like mid January to mid March. It's it's really not that long. Yeah. You know, it's two months. Your family? Well, my my uh, my sons uh, are in France right. with my ex-wife, and they're they just came out of lockdown. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, and we've been going since April of last year. Yes, I mean hallelujah, you know, yeah. it's been pretty damn normal here, you know. Go CCP. Yeah, and no, like you don't get the sense of an iron fist or anything. And, the, and they really set an example. They showed the world what Definitely. to do. Definitely. You just do this. Yeah. This is how it's <laughs> and done. And this is beyond blaming whoever or what government or whatever. The cause and effect had that result. Yeah. And we were all back, back to work. That's right. Yeah. So they've had a whole year of economic growth and running while the rest of the world has just been in a mess. Yeah. Absolutely. They were locked down forever. Yeah. And serious, like you being off the street at six. It's like a Western town in the old West, you know? Yeah, yeah. Shanghai music scene now, it's booming. It's, it's Well, it's booming for the people that are left here. Yeah. I've been very busy. And it's great to see that uh, you can go out any night, really, and you can go and oh, see a live band. Well, I, I figure that I'm the only American singer that's been working for the last year. No word of a lie, yeah. you know, because there are no live venues in the States. Maybe in the next, maybe in the last couple of weeks or something, we're over a year now. And by f- great fortune, the band that I play with at Heyday, all of us, none were randomly left outside. So the core band was still the band. Right. So between the Pearl and Heyday, they had the best remaining bands. Right. And so for me... It really, I mean, because Pearl's my business and Heyday's where I work, you know, it's very fortunate. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk about where you were born and where you grew up. I do believe uh, you were born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Tulsa, Oklahoma, yeehaw. So for our international listeners, uh, whereabouts is that on the U.S. map? It's pretty much in in the geographical center of America. Right. Uh, not north, not south, not east, northwest. If you drove a stake all the way through the planet, geographically, 
it almost lines up with Shanghai. So basically, I can't go any further away from Oklahoma than I am. Otherwise, I'm going back to Oklahoma. <laughs> right, right. What is the music scene like there? And like another question is, were your mother and father in the entertainment industry as well? Is that how you sort of... Well, the, the, Tulsa is quite famous for jazz, rock, and country yes. musicians. There's a long list of people yes. that come from there. And, and uh, back in the day, let's go back to, you know, big band in 40s and 50s, the, the touring bands would go to Kansas City, and they'd go to Chicago, and quite often they would come through Tulsa. Right. New Orleans and what other, Austin in LA that, and that's about it but somehow Tulsa this little midwestern town managed to foster this gravity that drew them to it you know right. so I grew up uh, I grew up in the country you know on a farm way out in the country yeah right so was it the blues rhythm and blues like well my mom was a she was a a bobby soxer she always called herself a bobby bobby soxer cuz she her music experience was in the big band era right because she's she's born in 1926 and uh my dad's born in 1919 so in their formative teenage to 20s it was that era what an interesting era that is and it's the best yeah <laughs> it's the be- i think it's better than the 20s you yeah know? i think that explosion is really what fostered uh, rockabilly and rock and roll mm. and country and all that. It's, uh, it's somewhere between jazz and blues, right? It all comes from the same root. Right. They love to dance and listen to big band. And since I lived way out in the middle of the country, which was awesome, yeah. I didn't change it for the world. Basically, you know, in summertime, mom would just say, get out of the house, come back to dinner. And I'd be barefoot just in a pair of shorts running around like an Indian, you know? Right, yeah. Chasing frogs and fishing. Right. <laughs> so but was it sport and music, or was it primarily just music? Sports? Yeah. Everybody always said I should do sports, but uh, I really wasn't into that. The mentality of sports in Oklahoma is sort of very con- uh, conservative, redneck, Christian. Right. When it just wasn't my bag, you know? Yeah. Um, Because when I was... As soon as... My my parents had this huge, like, eight-foot-long mono-stereo record player cabinet. One of those... You know, it could have been a car today. (laughs) So it was full of all all these big band records, you know? And since I was isolated out in the middle of nowhere, as soon as I could... They would let me play them when I was five or six or whatever... I just went to the whole thing. Yeah. And I'm like, this is the shit. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what, uh, I mean, as I'm speaking now, it just makes my head tingle. And I remember when I was just a little, little boy, it did the same thing. Yeah. And I was like, that's what I want to do. So what were the bands in, in, in that catalog? Oh, Glenn Miller, Benny Goodman, uh, you know, and uh, Ella Fitzgerald and Nat Cole. And, right. Uh, you know, on and on. And you said that your first uh, stage performance was five years old, right? Yeah. This doesn't sound novel. Well, it may, because it's old enough. (laughs) There was a a one-room schoolhouse. The rural area where I was at is called Conklin. And it was where they had all the community gatherings. Or you'd say 
pie supper or bean suppers or, you know, uh, Christmas parties and all that. And so the first time on stage was as one of the three wise men mm. and singing in the, the Christmas show. Right. And they had a stage and a, and a rinky-tink piano that had never been tuned as far as I could tell. <laughs> And that's that was that was, you know, fell far short of the big band experience at that time. But um, got to start somewhere. Got to start somewhere. <laughs> that's right. And did that sort of want you to do more, more of this at this time? And I didn't realize then that I had set a really big goal for myself, being right. as I come from nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh gee. I wouldn't say that that show was inspirational to me from. The first time I went to, you know, started up school, I just did all the shows and I did all the community shows and sang in the choir and I started to play the trumpet and then, yeah, that didn't work out. So were you taught how to sing at that very early age or was that later on that you were taught or was it just naturally, naturally I was, come to you? Well, in those days, I was more of an, I just had a natural, a perfect pitch. Right. So... I had a natural ability, but uh, of course, much later I studied with uh, quite a few people. Um, one key person that I in when I went to a performing arts college that actually, I would say, changed me from a novice to a professional, just by technique. And right. She just taught me classical technique. Right. And up to then, and how was that for you? It's up to then. It was like you know, it's like when a girl singer tries to sing a Beyonce song, you know, because she's a real singer, you yeah. know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you you do your personal limitation of it, but then you grow into yourself, and hopefully, you find a mentor who will who will tell you what it's really about. Yes. Yeah. Wow, that's in, it's very interesting. So you, you go through school just doing l- little performances. Were you forming o- your own bands at that stage or just sort of... Oh, well, we all tried to do our own band, right? right. I, I mean, uh, I thought one still one of my very good friends, uh, Gary Hickey, was, he's quite a good musician. and He plays guitar and keys and all that. And there were a couple of times we tried to, you know, sort of do a garage thing and what. Right. Um, but it didn't really fly I guess then uh, out after high school I did a, I did a lot of community theater right and because uh, I, I like to do plays and that so for you uh, as as an entertainer it, was it something that you could go up there in front of a large crowd and just wing it or did you get nerves or was it again was it naturally for you to go up on stage and perform well obviously back then I was much more nervous than I am now, which right. I, I have no nerves anymore. Yeah. But, uh, I, I guess I always had a, a knack for being in, in front of the public. Right. When a lot of kids were very anxious about it. And was it like a lot of practicing as well, like to, to make sure your performance was great? Oh. Or was it just like, okay, I know it, I'll go up on stage? Oh, of course you have to practice. Yeah. I mean, you, you, lots of rehearsal and the, the first influence that inspired me after my own inclination, right, was my elementary music teacher, Miss Seals, right. who was Cherokee. Uh, there was a, a performance and she would play us music and different records and all that. And 
And she played I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. Yes. And it's sung by a kid. And I listened to it and I sung it. And uh, she's like, you know, she had a big smile on her face. And she said, hmm, you know, you should do this. You should sing. And then she sort of pushed me to sing in the little school plays and all the stuff, you know. Right. Uh, but uh, that's, that's the first memory I have of someone who actually focused me besides my, my parents, you know. Right. And, and then in terms of uh, going to watch the big bands, uh, can you remember the first couple of shows that you went to? My mom and dad, but this is obviously my mom, <laughs> took me to see the Tulsa Philharmonic. And I have no idea how young I was. I was not six, I don't think. <laughs> Five or six. Right. And we went to see Porgy and Bess with the Tulsa Philharmonic. And I was just wow. like... Yeah. Oh, and that was her favorite, like, musical, right? Right. Because the music is amazing. Yeah. You know? um, and along with the, you know, the lost in the country experience I told you about, uh, that was just transitional. How do they even do that? Yeah. You know? <laughs> it, was, it was like going to Disneyland. All right. And uh, so that was very inspirational. In, in chronology, it would have been... Big Band Records, that event, the the or, the, the symphony, and then um, Miss Seals, who like was a personal inspiration, you know. Right. Uh, so that would have been it. And you know, when I was young, I tried to. They had a big band or two in Tulsa and all that. And, and very soon, I found that I was limited being there. Yes. And when I was in my late teens, I decided I'd go to the, the best uh, music college in, in Oklahoma was Oklahoma Christian University, OCU. Right, Christian University. Yeah, oh. and so I thought, okay, <laughs> I'm going to give this a shot. Yes. And that didn't work out. Because I was, I, you know, I'm a first year and I know I'm pretty good at what I do yes you know given that I'm in Oklahoma yes and uh, and I have some community theater and da 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 and I go into my first year and the first show they have I go audition it's Pirates of Penzance right and so I go to the audition and I nail my audition and then I watch the rest of the auditions so this guy who was a senior got up and auditioned. Well, he wasn't good. <laughs> and he got the part. What? And I was like, okay, there's some nepotism yeah. or something going on here. And I'm like, that's just wrong. <laughs> and that combined with the whole sort of religious foundation of the place. Mm. And I, it just didn't jive with me. So I, yes. I quit and I started doing more live theater and community theater and, and just finding places to sing. Right. You know, with bands in town and whatever. Right. And so was this, is this something that, that makes a bit of money for you as well? Did Hell you no. A, no. No, I always had to have a job. Right. I was, uh, my first job was selling jewelry in a place called Things Remembered in the 
in Woodland Hills Mall, which was the first mall in Tulsa. All right. Okay, that didn't go so well. <laughs> but the people were cool, but it was just like... Not your style. Yeah. And it was no money, really. Yeah. You know? And I made pizza. And, you know, the first week I'd burn myself like 20 times. Oh. Like, that doesn't work. <laughs> and so... Um, so I got a job as a mason's tender, and I was making better money than just about anybody from my high school. Right. But it was hard, hard as hell work. Mm, you know? Definitely. And and I did that for a couple of years, and and fo- followed my musical acting tendencies. Yeah. And then when I was twenty or so, um, I. Got a job uh, framing houses, so I was, a, I was a laborer on a framing crew. Right. So those two things are about as hard as work gets. Yeah. And uh, I really liked uh, building houses, mm. and so for the next, you know, until two thousand seven, when I left New York, I was a master carpenter. Yeah, right. And a house builder. Right. And I would renovate uh, apartments and stuff in New York and. And uh, do custom woodwork and mm. cabinetry and all that. Wow. Build furniture. Wow. So that's how I supported my New York singing thing. And so let's talk about that. How, how, how did you get from, when did you make the decision to then move to... Well, I jumped, way, I jumped way ahead. Oh, there. right, yeah. <laughs> so, not as young as I look. Right. Uh, my first major journey was like 81 and I decided to move to New York. And it, it was amazing, but I I was just this country kid from Oklahoma, and I got my ass kicked. Why New York? Uh, Always wanted to be in New yeah. York. You know, I see the Broadway musicals and the plays and the the albums. Everything's either New York or L.A. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know. And uh, so that was like that's where I got to go. Uh-huh. And off I went. I had been I had uh, done some modeling in uh, Oklahoma, and I took my portfolio and. Why you I took a I took a bus to St. Louis, and then I took a train to New York. Yeah, so my first impression of New York is Grand Central Station. Wow! Yeah. Back when it was nasty. Oh. <laughs> it's all pretty now, but yeah. Then it's like it hadn't been cleaned since it was built. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And uh, so I had I had. Uh, Friend, uh, my friend's wife in Oklahoma City, because that's where the university was. Her mother was a police sergeant for the New York police and lived in Staten Island. She's like, you can go stay with my mom. Boy, she was a tough cookie. You know? <laughs> she always had three guns on her at any time. Wow. <laughs> it has that reputation. Is it like that now? Is it like... Just oh, like... it's all homogenized now. Yeah. You know, yeah. gentrified, homogenized. It's not, you know, it's not the... This gritty, beautiful town it once was where Bob Dylan could go there and make a career. And back then was the Studio 54 days, you know, and, yeah. and there were hookers on 42nd Avenue, and the, now it's just too clean and Yeah, sparkly. that's right, yeah. It's, it's like the rich man's Disneyland. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Family. <laughs> well, you've got to be a millionaire to live in Manhattan. Yeah, that's true. I, I, it's a shame because uh, there's so much... So many great artists and what come from from those days in New mm. York, you know, the 60s, 70s. This, you know, I don't know what the jazz scene is like now, but uh, I think it's very challenging for 
for any young person to go there and mm. make a dent unless they're from there. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I moved to Staten Island, right. and I would take the ferry into, yeah. into New York, and I'd go on the modeling go-sees and look for jobs, like waiting tables and whatever, you know. Right. And I didn't, I, you know, I think I took like $500 with me. <laughs> How long did that last you? Uh, a month and something, <laughs> not two months. And I was like, okay. Yeah, I was just too naive, you know. Eyes wide open? No. Well, I kind of had an idea, but I still remember... I still remember how uh, how the it smelled on the ferry. I was like, oh, that's just I love that smell, <laughs> like the ocean and boats and whatever. Yeah. Uh, and the and the view of the Statue of Liberty in downtown New York and Brooklyn Bridge. It's just it's you know an island. Yeah. So then I, I I was not successful. Her mother was just a Frank. <laughs> don't be cutting on my counter now. Those are new counters. <laughs> and then she comes home from work, you know, and I have no idea because I'm just like, I need a place to crash, right? Yeah. And she has a, she has got 38 on her ankle, one on the other ankle, her service revolver, and then she's got one in her pants in the back. She's like, well, she for comes from pad. <laughs> she, she, she'd wear these, she always wore bell bottoms to work, so wow. you couldn't see that, you know. Yeah, right. Uh, my friend's brother was a quite successful um, uh, hairstylist. Right. Who they, who like all New York just called him brother. Right. And they came to pick me up at, at uh, uh, Grand Central in a, like a, understand this is 1981, this, right. in a stretch limo, but this stretch limo was like from 1965. Right. <laughs> So, and it, it was like, it was more like uh, the Blues Brothers car than any <laughs> yes. shiny little limo, you yes. know? And, jeez. So we went roaring down the FDR in this car. And the FDR at that time, it was just full of holes. And I, I thought the car was going to break in half. And they were like, bam, bam, bam. <laughs> and we, we uh, how did we get there? We went across the, the Brooklyn Bridge. And and drove along the Navy Yard to Verrazano, because it was brand new then. Right. And then into Staten Island, and those I think that's the only way you could drive. You could probably ferry your car back then, but uh, it was it was like a movie. <laughs> and he's got like he's got this mohawk, blonde mohawk. And, oh wow! And and his uh, I think he, his brother was with him, and his brother was a. He was a uh, like a, a delivery driver for Cheetos or something. Yeah, it's probably good that I didn't actually get really integrated into his life because it was, you know, Andy Warhol level. Right. I was like, okay, I'm just gonna do my thing. Anyway, that 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 happened, and uh, so I went back to uh, Oklahoma City. Right. So you, you first you didn't do any music at that stage. Oh no, it was just. Just going it on. It was overwhelming. Right. You know, I, I I did some go-sees for modeling. Is that something you wanted to do or was just like money money for you? Well, it's it's something that I thought I could do mm. to add to my tools, you know. I had received a lot of, you know, inspiration from other people. Yeah, you'll be good at this, da-da-da-da-da. Mm. And 
it I, it never really panned out on that end. To, to this day, almost nobody where I come from has ever been in New York. Right, yeah. <laughs> so they would have been asking lots of questions. Yeah. yeah. So when you went back there, was it like, okay, you know, I'm only going to see my family and then I'm going to go somewhere else? Well, I had to phone home, you know, for some cash just right. to take the bus. Yeah, stay alive, yeah. And But I, I didn't, I wasn't like depressed or anything. I just thought, well, one down. So you went back into the, doing your singing and you doing your acting? I went back, back to Oklahoma and uh, started building houses again. Right. Did that for, I don't know, a few years. And then in, in 83, I moved to... Uh, L.A. Right. So I had I had been a singing waiter at the Sheraton, and I met this girl, and we you know we sort of hit it off, and then she had moved to L.A. while I was in New York. When I got back from New York, there was a letter from her going, "Hey, you should come to L.A." Right. I was like, okay. Well, dumbass that I am, I didn't write her back a letter <laughs> and say, "Okay, I'm coming to L.A." Yeah. I just showed up. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> She's like, what are you doing here? Well, can I sleep on your couch? <laughs> and I, LA was great. I had so a, LA in the early eighties. What, what, what was that? Oh, like? it was a cocaine fest. Yeah, and then it was right that time that the the HIV was kicking off. Right. So it was quite a atmosphere. Mm, big um, party scene. Oh, well, yeah. I won't. I won't skip ahead. But let me. I had a friend that I'd known in Oklahoma. I had. I had. I had been in, in an ashram in Oklahoma where I had studied meditation. I actually studied and taught for right ten years or so. Kundalini yoga, and I had right. a guru, and da 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 da. It was great. I think uh, I might not have if if I hadn't sort of learned that philosophy. Might I might I might not have made it, mm. you know? Yeah, it gave me something beyond Oklahoma. Yes, very very inspiring and peace peace, you know, in your in yourself. So I met this guy who was a I I one of the guys I did music with in Oklahoma City, Brett, and he was the piano man. He would sing and play piano, and that's so. When I get to L.A., he's already there. And he's singing in some bar in Manhattan Beach. Right. So I go to see him, and I'm like, well, I can't really stay on Dina's couch any longer because <laughs> her marine boyfriend doesn't like it. The one who does push-ups while she sits on his back. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I get the message. Yeah. <laughs> and so they let me, uh, they had a little house in Manhattan Beach like a block off the beach and I stayed there for a few months and just kind of sorted myself out and got a job at the hardware store there. It was really cool. And sort of settled in and started to feel out Los Angeles, you know. Eventually I went back to doing carpentry in Los Angeles while I tried to pursue the acting and what I was more focused on the acting there. But so with your acting, uh, did you get some small roles? Or how, how did you go there in L.A.? Didn't go very well. Didn't get any roles. Yeah. Um, 
I, but I did uh, another another guy that was in this meditation group, the, the Lotus Center that I was in in Oklahoma City was a he was an ex tennis pro from from L.A. And when I told what friends I had that I was going to go out there, he's like, "Oh, go see uh, go see Val. Val's my friend from when I was tennis pro." Well, Val, Val is this like four foot tall gay piano player. And he's a virtuoso piano player, like was uh, toured with Ferranti and Teicher in the 60s and was a prodigy when he was 15 or so in the 50s, right? Mm. Uh, Eventually wrote the song, I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing. Mm. Yeah, right. And so I go to see Val, you know, and I'm still, you know, okay, I've been kicked out of New York. And I'm in L.A. and I'm like, here's this total Hollywood guy. He has this really lovely apartment in the Hollywood Hills with a massive white piano and and he talks like this because he's a, he's very tiny. <laughs> he's, and, and he was just a super cool, you know, great, but a character like you would never meet in Oklahoma. Yes. And uh, so I started um, doing some vocal work with him. And we wrote a few songs together. That was that was really cool. And he, I didn't realize what a, you know, big deal he was. But he had scored some movies and yeah, right. and wrote that song. If you just yeah. write that, I'd like to teach the world to sing. That's enough for a lifetime. Right? Yeah, definitely. And was just an amazing piano player. So he really inspired me. Acknowledged that I had some ability, you know. And uh, so I have a couple of songs I wrote with him. Still here now. So is that like an EP or like an album? Did you have enough songs for now? They recorded a couple of them. On vinyl? I have two albums. No, CDs I, I recorded in uh, in New York. Right. The Sting of Swing. Yes. And uh, So Far. So is that with that guy in LA? No, no. It's right. 15 just, years after. Right, right, right. Okay. Another, another interesting point about Val was like he was, he had a congenital spine defect the doctor said he wouldn't live to be past 15. And then he became an amazing artist. Yeah. And he lived to be almost 80. Wow. And his dad, his uh, his father was the guy who started, if you're American, you know who John's Manville is. It's this home building products, huge company. Right. And he was John's, so it's Val John's. In Shattuck, Oklahoma, they were based in Shattuck, Oklahoma, which is this tiny little town on the border of, on the western border of, uh, of, of uh, Oklahoma, which I did visit in the late '90s. They had a fifty thousand acre cattle ranch out there. So uh, I guess his mother had died, and his father was in ill health in the in the late '80s. So he moves there to run this ranch. And I'm talking a ranch that has 10, you know, diesel big wheel trucks to haul their stuff around and all this. And so in the late 90s, I went out there to visit him. And that was the last time I saw him. So how long were you there in L.A. for? I saw Billy and the Beaters upstairs from the hardware store. Right. That was a great show. (laughs) So so you would have seen a lot of good shows there, right? Why do I have any money, man? Oh, right. Fair enough. I could afford beer. (laughs) (laughs) I remember one day I was like, 
am I going to get a pizza or I'm going to put gas in my car? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I just kind of tore it in half and went both ways. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it all worked out. So I, I worked at a place called the American Film uh, Factory. That the, One of the guys that lived in the house was, a, was an engineer. That was going to be my good job, and that didn't work out. Not, not for any reason that I can properly understand, except I'm like 23 years old, you know? Right, right. You know, I see, I see guys now like that are 23, and they're, God, they're, they're so much more intelligent than I was. <laughs> And I should have started bartending or something, but mm. so I went. I'm working there, and I really don't have any. I like film, so da da da. And I was the night desk guy who opened the door and just answered the phone. Yeah, and uh, that was that was pretty cool. You would have met some interesting people along the way, there, right? Yeah, I, if I could remember their names, <laughs> I met uh, Susie Wong. Susie Wong, who was the 50s Chinese star and of course this is much later and she's doing some kind of Jane Fonda fitness video and it's the film factory I met a really interesting this group that she was working with were all very nice and one of the guys was the gosh I wish I could accurately remember their name but one of them was the naval attache to JFK in in uh, his administration, he's and it, we had a few drinks, and he told me some stories. <laughs> he's like, "Yeah, I used to sneak Marilyn into the White House." Yeah, right. <laughs> so the tunnel is true, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like that's just conspiracy theory. He's like, mm, "No, it's not. It, 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 <laughs> that's true. Really happened, yeah." Wow. And so then there's this other guy who's like ex CIA dude huge man and such a big bear and I hung out with him and his family can't remember his name either and uh, he connected me with a guy that was had a company out in Pasadena got a job out there at a place called Solar Service because they need a maintenance guy well Solar Service is basically a front for cocaine (laughs) (laughs) of course I'm again I'm this naive 23 yeah and uh, so I was going to do a renovation on their offices, and then they had this really cool thing where they take the the California subsidy for solar energy, and they would install it in people's houses, and then the the people would get a rebate, and so they made some money, and the people had lower bills, and it was really you know sustainable. Right. Except they hadn't paid taxes for a couple of years, and they made a lot of money. <laughs> and Bill, 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 Ga- Bill Campbell. And his partner was this huge Harley driving, like, muscle guy. I don't know if he was, uh, <laughs> what's the What's the motorcycle? Hell's Angel. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's all they did was, like, run their business and do cocaine. And they would take their, they had these uh, Winnebago's, you know, that they would take out into the desert. And they had, like, tons of automatic weapons. And they would ride motorcycles in the in the desert and just get high as hell and, and shoot automatic weapons and all that. And I was like, I saw that I saw that movie with Al Pacino. Yeah. I'm not sure this is where I need to be. 
And, uh, to move on. <laughs> and then eventually they got they got busted and the whole thing fell apart. Yeah, right. And I got out with you know unscathed. Right. I did meet a, a really nice girl, Gretchen Racine, and she had worked. She worked. She managed the phone bank because they had this phone bank and they would call residences and say, "Hey, this is a good deal." Right. And gosh, she was fifty. I was twenty three. Damn, she was she was like one of those perfect California girls, you know. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> so, so I didn't have a job, and I, I was I was living in Glendora. Amazing Mexican food. I mean, literally three solid Mexican restaurants just walking distance from my apartment. Oh, yeah. oh, I thought it was in heaven. <laughs> when I when I when I surprised Dina. She lived across from the Hollywood Bowl, by the way. It was a really cool oh. house. There was a girl named Mara there. Just happened to be there the day I rolled up. And so I was doing med- teaching meditation and doing that thing. And she said, well, I want to know, learn how to meditate. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we had sort of hit it off and been seeing each other while I was bouncing around. And, and uh, then I moved into Hollywood and I got an apartment on Hollywood Boulevard. At the, at the used car end, not the fancy end, hmm. not the Groman's Chinese end. She lived up on Gower in the Hollywood Hills, had a really sweet, sweet little old house, you know. And so we decided to move in together. So that was my last place in L.A. And we lived up on Gower above Franklin. After, uh, we lived together for over a year or so. And then after after three years, I just said, you know, it's not... And she was an actress. I'm sure she's still in theater. Right. Like her, her brother was a director, and a you know uh, her, her father was in worked for the studios, and they, they were a Hollywood family. You know. I just pulled up stakes one day, and I'm like, this is not working out for me. I'm being a carpenter in L.A., and I'm not making any headway, and gotta go. Yes. But it was, I love L.A. Yeah. And, you know, my idea of L.A. was all the movies and stuff. Like, you know, Fred Astaire and Hollywood movies and big bands and all that. Well, it's kind of done when I got there. Like that atmosphere, the studio atmosphere and all that. Yeah. And it, it was hard up to crack. And L.A.'s all spread out. So it's really hard. You can't network like you can in New York. You gotta have an invitation to go somewhere to meet somebody, and that's the way it goes. Yes. So I uh, moved uh, back east, mid to the Midwest. Um, moved to Austin. Oh. I lived in Austin. My brother was living there. Right. So we we were building stuff again, you know, yeah. building houses and whatever. And I and I. Texas isn't that like a blues, uh, you know, yeah. jazz. Austin is. I country. Say, I would say Austin is the most uh, viable music city. I don't know what COVID's done to it, mm. but even back then it had just a super rich music scene. Right. And it's very not so conservative as the rest of Texas, you know. Right. Um, well, we've also got Pantera as well, one of my favorite bands as well. So heavy metal, you know. <laughs> I went to, I did some writing, music, uh, songwriting workshops there. 
tried to sing again and uh, loved Austin. Austin's amazing. And I had been there before because I had, like in the early, after I got back from New York, I, uh, I ran into the, one of the gals that used to work with the Austin was Jean Martin. And the Martins, the Martins own the biggest ranch in Texas. It's, it's much like Val's thing, you know, cattle, uranium. Her husband was a congressman. And they had a place on, um, on Lake Austin, next door to Willie Nelson. Although I didn't ever meet Willie. I think his house right at that time got repossessed for taxes or something. <laughs> and so that was the first time I had gone to Austin. 86, 7. My brother and I decided to go to New York and, and uh, the guy that we had built houses with in Oklahoma, because Oklahoma just collapsed mm-hmm. in, the, in the early 80s, the building industry, oil, blah, 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 economic crisis. And uh, so he went to Long Island to build houses. And so we drove, took up all our stuff and drove up there. And, wow. How you know, long did that take? We were <laughs> <laughs> it's about a day. Yeah. Uh, and so we were. We went to work for Mike, uh, Mike Stockdale. Great guy, really smart, old hippie guy. We were building houses in the, you know, the fields of Long Island, which has got to be one of the coldest places on the right. in the winter time. And it yeah. was winter time. I was still missing something, you know. I just, I, I was trying to follow my muse there, and I'm like, I'm not in New York. I'm way the hell out here yeah you know in a cornfield building houses moved back to Oklahoma City started to model again and this modeling guy said this is a good one modeling guy met he came up to do a seminar in Oklahoma City and he's like come to Dallas you know I got an agency down there and you can come down there and model so saved up some money went to Dallas I had a friend stayed on his couch the guy turned out to be a total fugazi. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, Ugh. all right, so here I am in, the, in Dallas. <laughs> what am I going to do? And I uh, happened to pick up paper one day, and I read this uh, ad. It says, uh, performing arts program, uh, first year performing arts program at Mountain View College, uh, auditions today. End at five, it's three o'clock. <laughs> and I thought, well, what the hell? And I happened to have all my, you know, my pictures and resume and all that. So hopped in my car, ran off there. They let me audition. And I and I won the audition with 20 people. Yeah, right. And so the, class, the class was 20, limited to 20. And that was the next two years I spent there going to university and that's really the turnaround of what I do right. because uh, Sue Parker was the vocal musical department leader and, and vocal teacher and and she just took me to a whole nother level she wrote a book called Sounding the Silence which is about the not only the physical but the psychological journey of, of into vocal awareness right really so it was acting for the screen acting for commercials theater acting dancing ballet jazz 
And ballet. Of, of course, vocal. Yeah, I took two years of ballet. Yeah, right. Ouch. <laughs> I was 27 at the time. That's why they start training kids at five. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, I was, it has your splits at 27. <laughs> never did. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but I was a good jazz dancer. Then I finished that program, and, and uh, I was also teaching uh, meditation. Uh, right. They started a meditation group there. And I so met, you see, it seems like you've done that for quite a long time now. Like, do you still do that? Since 1980. Yeah. Right. No, then I'm, I used to do it every day, twice a day. Right. And then I teach classes and all that. And then sometime in the in the late 80s, I just thought, wow, man, I'm spaced out. And I uh, really need to ground myself, you know, get more into the, the Maya. Because it makes it, you know, it, it sort of keeps your consciousness on a separate level. Yes. And I, I needed to be more physical. And I, and I got to a point where I just really was repulsed by people that talk soft and pretend to be enlightened. And, <laughs> and I meditate and I'm a vegetarian. I was like, go, just... <laughs> Can I just punch you? Yeah, just shut the hell up. Yeah, just shut the <laughs> hell up. Get away from me. Yeah. And I never thought that was what this was about anyway. Anyway, my guru said, here, here's the tools. This is, these are the techniques. Get the hell out of here and go do whatever you're going to do, but go from here. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was really enlightening. Yeah. Because most, most pundits want to keep people yes. around them and, and keep them donating and paying the money and... Once, once spiritualism becomes a money thing, it's not yeah. spiritual anymore. Nah, definitely not. Uh, I met my first wife there, and, t- and she was from Fort Worth. Uh, we moved to New York, and she really wasn't good at me being an actor and a performer. And Why is that? Because I'm, I'm, on, I'm on stage, yeah. I'm home late. You know, there's a lot of beautiful women around. <laughs> right. And uh, and she was she had a lot of anxiety. I was her third husband already, oh, so <laughs> right. She had her own anxiety already that yes. she was projecting on me. And I'm like, I'm just doing what I plan to do. You know. That's it. And uh, that didn't work out. And I stayed. So then I was in New York from '88 until uh, 2007. Right. Yeah. So this is where I've got it written down here where it says you've done performances in a Blue Note, New York Fashion Week, CNBC, like the list just goes on and on and on. So how, how did this all start to, to come like, you know, a regular thing? Well, I just started, I mean, one, I finally got a break when I got to New York yeah. and uh I started singing at the Village Gate and all the open mics, Don't Tell Mamas, uh, right. etc. And met people, met good musicians and jazz musicians. And they're like, hey, you know, you're pretty good. Why don't you come to this class or da-da-da-da-da. Um, but that music scene would have been great in the late, late 80s. It wouldn't have been... It was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot... Now there's there are brand jazz places. Uh, I don't know if that's the right term, but back then there were just little jazz places that, mm-hmm. you know, you'd have to live there to know where it is. Yes. And um, so I began to, at night, when I wasn't doing carpentry, I was living in Prospect Park, and, uh, you know, there are a lot of really old brown, turn-of-the-century brownstones, and even older, and I would do... I got known for being... My company is called Woodmaster, 
for being uh, able to restore the woodwork and mm. all that. Worked for a guy called Michael Rosen, who was a sculptor, but he did contracting. And that's how I made all my contracting contacts through him. Uh, so I would take the F train into you know West 4th Street and go to the Blue Note or go wherever uh, and start singing. Right. I met this guy, where did I go? The Green Street Bar. And there, uh, this is before, before 90, and there was this guy named Hal Schaefer who played there. It's a huge, God, that was a cool place. It was an old trash truck place where they parked all the trash trucks. So it's mm. this huge cavernous place, and they converted it into a club. It had two stories, and this massive chandelier about the size of this room. And so Hal, would, he just played piano there. And I don't know how I stumbled in there one time. I didn't stumble in there. I stumbled <laughs> onto it, and uh, and I said, "Hey, you know, uh, I'm I'm a singer. I'm looking to sing." And he's like, "Well," and so I started studying with him. Right. And he would he'd go to Dotel Mama or not Dotel Mama. But what's the other place? Not the Van Vanguard. Not the Village Gate. I actually still have the flyer. Dizzy Dizzy Club. The duplex, the duplex would take several singers and have a show and, you know, get people started. Now, the story of Hal Schaefer was, it's uh-huh. funny because you, you remember the naval guy who used to smuggle Marilyn into the White House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Hal, in the 50s, he was the, he was the musical director for Paramount. He trained Marilyn how to sing. Wow. And do some other things, evidently. <laughs> <laughs> and it, he's about gosh he's been almost 80 then you know and this is like the 1990 88 99 yeah. story about Frank Sinatra and uh, the baseball player DiMaggio DiMaggio yeah it's called the wrong door raid okay that was Hal right <laughs> because Hal was having an affair with Marilyn and Frank and Joe went to beat up his ass. Wow. And they kicked in the wrong hotel door and they weren't even in the hotel. I don't know how that happened, but it was it was Hal being out with me. <laughs> and how not that attractive of a guy. Yeah. But he he must have had a you know yeah, yeah. A really good line. Yeah. And then there's the whole vocal training thing and all that. Alright. That was that was Hal's story. So he had he had been involved in all those great movie musicals and all, you know? And finally the director of Paramount and, and originally from New York. And so I studied with him for a year or so. Yeah, he was he was quite the character. It seems like there's some stories to tell. <laughs> <laughs> so I would I would I lived in in Prospect Park and I would just take the F train in and and sort of explore Manhattan, you know, because I was still kind of had PTSD from earlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, just began to sort it out. I started uh, taking uh, Alexander technique, and wow. I studied Pilates with Pilates uh, personal assistant. Just do my thing, discover New York, you know. But it seems to me now you're sort of starting to work out a plan, you know, like a. Well, I know I'm not going anywhere else, and yeah. I got, and I have a, you know, I can make a living and pursue what I want to do. Yeah. 
So, yeah. so you said like even in this time you recorded two two albums in this period. No, well in the nineties I recorded those. That was right. in ninety five and two thousand and three ish. Right. Are they still available? Can you? They're out there somewhere. I don't think there's any physical copies available. It's right. Still on Amazon since oh, yeah. forever. Yeah. I wish I'd bought stock instead. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> And, and, you know, what a great time to be in New York. When I, when I uh, the, again, with the, with the, the group in, uh, in Dallas, this meditation thing, because uh, I was doing that while I was going to school and working as a manager in an ice cream store. Right. It's mm. <laughs> <laughs> a thankless job. Got to pay the bills somehow, right? <laughs> I met Edie Brickell. And this is before the band broke out, and, and I guess right about the time I was getting ready to leave, they had a that shooting rubber bands at the sky, and the bass player was in our meditation group. Right, small world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so when I get to New York, they're blowing up, and they get a spot on Saturday Night Live. He's like, "Hey, uh, we're going to be in New York. Come down and see the show." And so I went down to see Saturday Night... I went to their hotel room first and then went to see Saturday Night Live. Uh, Rockefeller. Rockefeller Center. And uh, that was incredible. Yeah. I mean, that night they had Steve Martin, Elliot Gould. Wow. uh, Paul Simon. Oh. Rick Ocasek. Paulina Paulaskova. Paraskova. Gosh, there was just, there was so, I met Paul Simon that night. That's the wow. night he met, it's the night he met Edie Brickell. Oh. And they hit it off and got married, had kids. Yeah, right. Wow. Uh, but that was a party. That yeah. was like, I went to oh, light speed that night. Right. Because there was everything there, you know. Oh, yeah. And it's at Rockefeller Center and they're like, they're the glitterati and nobody bothers them. They're just going wild. Yeah. And ended up getting kicked out of their hotel room the next day because we were all still sleeping. <laughs> oh, man, what a hangover. <laughs> that was one of those nights because the wife had to go. She went home after the show because she had to work the next day. Right. That didn't go over very well. <laughs> yeah. Dan, uh, who's the big Dan guy? Aykroyd? No, Dan Aykroyd. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, and I met so many people in New York because it's such a... It's a small place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just a, I Sunday I, I figure I'll I'll just sit down and make a list of all the celebrities I just ran into, you yeah. know. And I lived uh, when I when I moved into New York, I lived on Columbus Avenue, and that was quite a quite the neighborhood for uh, for celebrities for celebrity yeah, low key yeah, celebrities. Yeah, yeah. And actually, Paul Simon lived around the corner from my apartment. Wow. So uh, they used to have a. A Halloween party on 69th Street between the park and Columbus, and they'd shut down the street. And I ran into him several times with his kids and whatever. Yeah. Eric Clapton lived there. Yeah. It was very cool. Uh, Harrison Ford. Yeah. I, he, I used to eat at the Hunan restaurant where I would go quite often. Ran into him a couple times. But uh, just to name a few. Yeah. I don't want to seem pretentious. No. Definitely not. No, you've done it. Not a lot of not a lot of other people have done that. <laughs> yeah, 
I just wasn't good at making money. Right, right. <laughs> but a great life. How, How long did you do this for? How long were you back in LA for this time? Like to the, the seven years, right? Hmm? You were in New York till 2007, right? Yeah, I yeah. never went back to LA. Right. I mean, I visited, yeah. but uh, never looked back. I never had a, a setup to go to, you know, or an invitation. I flew out there a couple of times, did some shows for some guys in, in New York. Yeah. Like a friend of mine from New York got married out in LA. And I took uh, Vinnie Valentino, amazing guitar player, produced my last album. Right. Um, and we went out there together, put, a, put the rest of the band together out there, and uh, just had a crazy time and played the, his wedding. All right. That's when I was singing at Torch. That was sort of the highlight of music before 9-11. And there was a really cool restaurant, and we were the regular band there. Then 9-11 came and just sort of ruined everything. Yeah, really. So where were you at that stage? 2001. I had... At 9-11? Yeah, I don't get to ask too many people. <laughs> <laughs> I may need another beer. <laughs> Hi, I'm Tony Fair, founder of Victorian Grooming Company. Is your beard feeling dry or the skin underneath itchy? Maybe you'd rather soften and tame your beard instead. Our classic collection of beard oils, balms, and soaps will leave your beard looking, feeling, and smelling amazing. And if you prefer shaving, our pre-shave oils and shave soaps will give you a smooth and razor burn free shave. Handmade in Edmonton with natural ingredients, visit victoriangrooming.com.